Chapter 3 of The Octave of Claudius. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Aaron Rivetta. The Octave of Claudius by Barry Payne. Chapter 3. Mrs. Lamb's want of tact was so pronounced that it even overcame her fear of her husband, and she still spoke about the service of the church and the great good that she had received from it. He listened politely with attention, occasionally looking up from his plate at her almost inquisitively. At each glance from under the thick sandy eyebrows, and at each slight smile that showed the big white teeth, she faltered. The glance and smile had a kind of reserved meaning in them. They forced her into exasperating belief that she was being treated with superiority. She was half inclined to lose her temper, did, indeed, for one moment cut the chicken wing on her plate as if it had been an enemy, but commanded herself. She was not a very clever woman, emotional, half fanatical, with a pathetic want to be good. Dr. Lamb said very little until supper was over, and his few remarks to his wife were commonplace enough. As she rose from the table, he said, I have told them to take the coffee to my room tonight. I can't talk comfortably in these big rooms, and I've got some news for you. Will you come, Hilda? Yes, dear, in one minute. He held open the door for her. She passed into the hall. He stood a moment reflective. His brows were slightly wrinkled. He did not like the substitution of a late cold supper for dinner at the usual time, but it marked Sunday for Hilda. He did not like Hilda to sit down to an evening meal and afternoon dress with her hat on, but it marked Sunday for her. This interested him slightly. He wondered how her observation of Sunday would work out when her day came. There had been signs lately, he noted them all as they came, that her day was very near. He crossed the hall and went down a corridor to the two rooms which constituted the addition which he had made to the house. The first of these rooms was furnished as a study. The walls were covered with books, most of them books of the advanced scientists, some of them books that even an advanced scientist would have classed as heterodox, the work of charlatans. It was brightly lighted. On a side table, the coffee and liqueurs had been placed already. At one end of the room was a door leading into the laboratory. The doctor opened the door and looked in. The laboratory was in darkness, but he reached his hand upward to a button in the wall and switched on the electric light. The lamps reflected themselves on polished mahogany cases and on the bell glass that protected a large microscope from the dust. There was a rather unpleasant smell in the room. Shelves and cabinets were ranged all around the walls. In one corner stood a lead-covered table. On another stood two or three bottles and a measuring glass. The doctor put the bottles back in their places on the shelves and washed the glass at a square stone basin. He had used the things in preparing the restorative. Then he switched off the electric light and went back into the study again, closing the door behind him. Here he sat down, poured out his coffee, tilted a little glass of cognac into it, lit a cigarette, and began to think. He really had a great deal to think about that night. He was interrupted, however, almost immediately by the entrance of his wife. She had changed her dress and was wearing a loose black tea gown. It suited her fairly well, and her pale face now had a pretty tinge of color in it. Dr. Lamb looked at her critically. You've changed, he began. Yes, I saw you weren't liking the other. Ah, said Dr. Lamb. That's good of you. 
It's the curse of the individual that such trifles should matter to him. There's nothing so small in the impulses of collected humanity, the aggregate. Mankind, he continued, speaking more to himself than to her, is so great, and isolated man so small. You had something to tell me, Hilda said timidly. Ah, yes. He told her how he had found Cloudy Sandell and taken him into the house. It was his intention to keep him for a few days, perhaps weeks, to provide him with clothes and so on. He says that he must repay me, cannot bear the obligation, is very strong on that point. Gabriel, this is one of the queerest things you have done. Of course, it is very kind of you, and I must say that many professing Christians would have been quite content to just have given the man a copper or a sixpence. He would not have taken it, and in that condition it would have been no good to him if he had taken it. No, it was so silly of him to not want to be helped. I rather like him for that. Quite dark hair, you said, and tall, I imagine him. Well, I hope it will turn out all right. But you've done almost more than you need. The best suite of rooms in the house, and in every way the treatment of an honored guest. Quite so. Apart from the fact that a gentleman cannot very well take advantage of another gentleman's poverty in order to humiliate them, there are reasons. You will oblige me by treating him exactly as I have done, as an honored guest. I will do anything to please you, she said humbly. And I must confess that I like you better in this docile mood than in the mood which it has replaced. When you came back to the house tonight, you addressed me as if I were an atheist, which was incorrect of you, as I frequently explained. You also spoke to me about the curate and Elijah and the believer's hope, and you are quite aware that I do not discuss such subjects with you. Your God is the projection of the curate upon the average feminine intelligence. You believe in your heart that your God wrote the Bible in English and got it published by Bagster. I cannot share your conception or your view, but I am not an atheist. I love God. That is the reason why I love and serve to the utmost his humanity and would sacrifice any unit of it in the cause of the aggregate. Now this must be the last time. I leave you your intellectual freedom and you may go to church, but you may not talk church. Gabriel, did you love me when you married me? Her downcast eyes were raised and looked full at his. I am a man of like passions to others. You made me happy, you know. It was a life of sordid drudgery at home. Papa was always overworked and Mama was always tired, and there was that trouble with my sister Matilda. You gave me all that money could give, and then, she gasped and caught her breath, our child. Well, go on. Now, I don't know whether you love me or not. I don't even know whether I love you, because I'm afraid of you so but I know that there's a change. You used even to go to church with me. You were not always locked up in the laboratory. Even now you are good to me. You give me more money than I can spend. You give me presents. You're considerate for me and do things to please me. But I'm shut out of your real life. Oh, Gabriel, I hate science. You should not do that, dear, said the doctor blandly. My interest in you is largely scientific. Don't she said pathetically not irritably don't look at me as if i were a specimen don't be just interested in me i'm a woman it wasn't for the money and comfort that i married you i loved you you loved me once gabriel science did not stand first you used to make concessions to me i'm making concessions now by listening to me politely 
Yes, you regard all the smaller conventionalities. I do. I have no pretense to transcend humanity. My contempt for the individual includes my individual self. I try to regard all the smaller conventionalities, and to some of them I am really attached. I get vexed at trifles. I am particular about some quite unimportant things. For that reason, I prefer the conventional dinner to the Sunday supper, which is one of my concessions to you, to which you sit down, perspiring and religious, in a hat. And I despise myself for ever thinking about such light things when I realize the greatness of the work before me. Do I love you? My dear Hilda, I do not even love myself. My point of view has been changed by... Don't talk, she broke in passionately, bursting into tears. Don't go on talking. It doesn't comfort me. Love me again, Gabriel. Love me, else I shall hate you. Excessive emotion, said the doctor, is not good for you and will probably hasten your day. You must go to bed at once. She rose like a whipped child. I'm sorry, she said in a low husky voice. I forgot. I know you don't like scenes, and I'm wanting to try very hard to please you in everything. I'm going. Good night, dear. The doctor raised one of her hands and kissed it, and opened the door for her. She passed out. Halfway up the broad staircase that led to her room, she paused a moment, thinking. What had he meant by hasten her day? He had said once before that her day would come. She knew instinctively that it would be useless to ask him, and put the question by with a kind of despair. In her room, she stood before the glass, surveying herself. The color on her cheeks was slightly disordered. She took a sponge and washed it off. She made up her mind not to use it again. It was of no good for her to try and make herself look pretty anymore, and... Even if Rouge had given her beauty, that would not have made her husband love her again. Love, she whispered to herself, panting. Then she remembered that it was wicked to use Rouge. She had just but come from church and had painted her face like a bad woman. It was wicked of her. She knelt and prayed God to forgive her. Then she rose and took a candle and stepped across the passage to another room. It had been her baby's nursery. She unlocked the door and entered. The room was neatly kept. A little cradle stood in one corner, bedecked and empty. She walked over to it and rocked it a little. Then she opened a drawer and turned over piles of tiny clothes that were not wanted now. My little baby, she whispered. Her eyes were strained and aching and dry, but she cried again in bed that night. It was long before Dr. Lamb came to bed. He'd not been working in his laboratory. He had been thinking about Claudia Sandell. The doctor had not had much opportunity to observe him, but, nevertheless, he summed him up. A man whose pride was greater than his instinct of self-preservation. A truthful man. The doctor thought for a long time. Oh, I shall use him. I shall certainly use him, he said to himself at last. A great find. He will quite repay me. Upstairs, Claudius Sandell slept peacefully. End of chapter 3